We're glad you've joined us on Songs of Praise, an hour of musical reflection to encourage your heart.
loves us than anything this world affords today. I'd rather have you, Lord, than anything this world affords Oh, no. 
hope you're enjoying Songs of Praise. Here's some more inspirational music. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth formed by His hands. Let there be light. What a wonderful sight. At God's command, all things were made. He made the sky, land and seas, wheat and corn, plants and trees, sun, moon and stars, fish and birds, all animals. And save for last, breathe with life shaped from God, mankind began. All creation was completed. God blessed it and saw that it was good. All this was done. me
He's calling in the silence When you do not hear a sound He whispers to your spirit When the answers can't be found Saying, fear not, I am with you Right where I've always been So cast your cares upon me
and God cares.
Songs of Praise continues with more inspirational music.
to the smallest flower your love for many shown and as we see the sun by day and the stars that shine songs of praise. It's our desire to encourage and uplift your thoughts to our loving Creator God. Got 
fine, but he calls you his child. I'm not worthy, but he's calling me. I'm not strong, he's got the power. I'm not courageous, he's got the authority. I'm not divine, but he calls me his child. So here you Show. 
Last night I lay a-sleeping, there came a dream so fair. I stood in old Jerusalem, beside the temple there. I heard the children singing, and ever as they sang, I thought the voice of angels from heaven in answer rang. I thought the voice of angels from heaven in answer rang. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, lift up your gates and sing. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna to your King. And then I thought my dream was changed. The streets no longer rang. Hushed were the glad hosannas, the little children sang. The sun grew dark with mystery, the morn was cold and chill. As the shadow of a cross arose upon a lonely hill, as the shadow Jerusalem, Jerusalem, hark how the angels sing, Hosanna in the highest, Hosanna to your King. And once again, the scene was changed to earth there seemed to be. I saw the holy city beside the tideless sea. The light of God was on its streets, the gates were open wide, and all who would might
so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take him at his word just to rest upon his promise just to know the saith the Lord Jesus Jesus how I trust him how I proved him more and more Jesus Jesus precious Jesus oh for grace to trust him more oh how sweet to trust in Jesus, just to trust His cleansing blood, just in simple faith to plunge me neath a healing cleansing flood. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him, how I proved Him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust Him more. Yes, it's sweet to trust in Jesus, just from sin and self to cease, just from Jesus simply taking life and rest and joy and peace. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I proved him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. I'm so glad I learned to trust thee, precious Jesus, Savior, How I trust Him, how I proved Him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust Him more. Join us again next time on Songs of Praise. Brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio to enjoy more uplifting music. Welcome to 3ABN Australia Radio's book reading program. The book Christ's Object Lessons, written by Ellen White, presents the parables of Jesus in a fresh light, showing their application to Christian living today. In this devotional classic, Ellen White explores the depths of the best-loved teachings of Jesus, offering a deeply spiritual understanding of the parables of Christ as they apply to our lives today. You'll enjoy the practical applications in a way that touches your heart. Listen now as Clive Nash reads. Continuing the chapter, Spirit This Year Also. The people of Christ's day made a greater show of piety than did the Jews of earlier ages. But they were even more destitute of the sweet graces of the Spirit of God. 
the precious fruits of character that made the life of Joseph so fragrant and beautiful, were not manifest in the Jewish nation. God in his Son had been seeking fruit and had found none. Israel was a cumberer of the ground. Its very existence was a curse, for it filled the place in the vineyard that a fruitful tree might fill. It robbed the world of the blessings that God designed to give. The Israelites had misrepresented God among the nations. They were not merely useless, but a decided hindrance. To a great degree, their religion was misleading and wrought ruin instead of salvation. In the parable, the dresser of the vineyard does not question the sentence that the tree, if it remained fruitless, should be cut down. But he knows and shares the owner's interest in that barren tree. Nothing could give him greater joy than to see its growth and fruitfulness. He responds to the desire of the owner, saying, Let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it, and if it bear fruit, well. The gardener does not refuse to minister to so unpromising a plant. He stands ready to give it still greater care. He will make its surroundings most favourable, and will lavish upon it every attention. The owner and the dresser of the vineyard are one in their interest in the fig tree. So the father and the son were one in their love for the chosen people. Christ was saying to his hearers that increased opportunities would be given them. Every means that the love of God could devise would be put in operation that they might become trees of righteousness, bringing forth fruit for the blessing of the world. Jesus did not, in the parable, tell the result of the gardener's work. At that point, his story was cut short. Its conclusion rested with the generation that heard his words. To them the solemn warning was given, If not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. Upon them it depended whether the irrevocable words should be spoken. The day of wrath was near. In the calamities that had already befallen Israel, the owner of the vineyard was mercifully forewarning them of the destruction of the unfruitful tree. The warning sounds down along the line to us in this generation. Are you, O careless heart, a fruitless tree in the Lord's vineyard? Shall the words of doom ere long be spoken of you? How long have you received his gifts? How long has he watched and waited for a return of love? Planted in his vineyard under the watchful care of the gardener, what privileges are yours? How often has the tender gospel message thrilled your heart? You have taken the name of Christ. You are outwardly a member of the church which is his body, and yet you are conscious of no living connection with the great heart of love. The tide of his life does not flow through you. The sweet graces of his character, the fruits of the Spirit, are not seen in your life. The barren tree receives the rain and the sunshine and the gardener's care. It draws nourishment from the soil, but its unproductive boughs only darken the ground so that fruit-bearing plants cannot flourish in its shadow. So God's gifts, lavished on you, convey no blessing to the world. You are robbing others of privileges that, but for you, might be theirs. You realise, though it may be but dimly, that you are a cumberer of the ground. Yet in his great mercy, God has not cut you down. He does not look coldly upon you. He does not turn away with indifference or leave you to destruction. Looking upon you, he cries, 
as he cried so many centuries ago concerning Israel, How shall I give thee up, Ephraim? How shall I deliver thee, Israel? I will not execute the fierceness of mine anger. I will not return to destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not man. Hosea 11 verses 8 and 9. The pitying Saviour is saying concerning you, Spare it this year also, till I shall dig about it and dress it. With what unwearied love did Christ minister to Israel during the period of added probation? Upon the cross he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Luke 23 verse 24. After his ascension, the gospel was preached first at Jerusalem. There the Holy Spirit was poured out. There the first gospel church revealed the power of the risen Savior. There Stephen, his face as it had been the face of an angel, Acts 6.15, bore his testimony and laid down his life. All that heaven itself could give was bestowed. What could have been done more to my vineyard, Christ said, that I have not done in it, Isaiah 5 verse 4. So his care and labor for you are not lessened, but increased. Still, he says, I, the Lord, do keep it. I will water it every moment, lest any hurt it. I will keep it night and day, Isaiah 27 verse 3. If it bear fruit, well, and if not, then after that. The heart that does not respond to divine agencies becomes hardened until it is no longer susceptible to the influence of the Holy Spirit. Then it is that the word is spoken, Cut it down, why cumbereth it the ground? Today he invites you, O Israel, return unto the Lord thy God. I will heal their black sliding, I will love them freely. I will be as the dew unto Israel. He shall grow as the lily, and cast forth his roots as Lebanon. They that dwell under his shadow shall return. They shall revive as the corn, and grow as the vine. From me is thy fruit found. Hosea 14 verses 1 to 8. Go into the highways and hedges. This chapter is based on Luke chapter 14 verse 1 and verses 12 to 24. The Saviour was a guest at the feast of a Pharisee. He accepted invitations from the rich as well as the poor, and according to his custom, he linked the scene before him with his lessons of truth. Among the Jews, the sacred feast was connected with all their seasons of national and religious rejoicing. It was to them a type of the blessings of eternal life. The great feast at which they were to sit down with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, while the Gentiles stood without and looked on with longing eyes, was a theme on which they delighted to dwell. The lesson of warning and instruction which Christ desired to give, he now illustrated by the parable of a great supper. The blessings of God, both for the present and for the future life, the Jews thought to shut up to themselves. They denied God's mercy to the Gentiles. By the parable, Christ showed that they were themselves at that very time rejecting the invitation of mercy, the call to God's kingdom. He showed that the invitation which they had slighted was to be sent to those whom they despised, those from whom they had drawn away their garments as if they were lepers to be shunned. In choosing the guests for his feast, 
the Pharisee had consulted his own selfish interest. Christ said to him, When thou makest a dinner or a supper, call not thy friends, nor thy brethren, neither thy kinsmen, nor thy rich neighbours, lest they also bid thee again, and a recompense be made thee. But when thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee, for thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. Christ was here repeating the instruction he had given to Israel through Moses. At their sacred feasts the Lord had directed that the stranger and the fatherless and the widow which are within thy gates shall come and shall eat and be satisfied. Deuteronomy 14 verse 29 These gatherings were to be as object lessons to Israel. Being thus taught the joy of true hospitality, the people were throughout the year to care for the bereaved and the poor. And these feasts had a wider lesson. The spiritual blessings given to Israel were not for themselves alone. God had given the bread of life to them that they might break it to the world. This work they had not fulfilled. Christ's words were a rebuke to their selfishness. To the Pharisees, his words were distasteful. Hoping to turn the conversation into another channel, one of them with a sanctimonious air exclaimed, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. This man spoke with great assurance, as if he himself were certain of a place in the kingdom. His attitude was similar to the attitude of those who rejoice that they are saved by Christ when they do not comply with the conditions upon which salvation is promised. His spirit was like that of Balaam when he prayed, Let me die the death of the righteous, and let my last end be like his. Numbers 23 verse 10 The Pharisee was not thinking of his own fitness for heaven, but of what he hoped to enjoy in heaven. His remark was designed to turn away the minds of the guests at the feast from the subject of their practical duty. He thought to carry them past the present life to the remote time of the resurrection of the just. Christ read the heart of the pretender, and fastening his eyes upon him, he opened before the company the character and value of their present privileges. He showed them that they had a part to act at that very time in order to share in the blessedness of the future. A certain man, he said, made a great supper and bade many. When the time of the feast arrived, the host sent his servant to the expected guests with a second message, Come, for all things are now ready. But a strange indifference was shown. All with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. None of the excuses were founded on a real necessity. The man who must needs go and see his piece of ground had already purchased it. His haste to go and see it was due to the fact that his interest was absorbed in his purchase. The oxen too had been bought. The proving of them was only to satisfy the interest of the buyer. The third excuse had no more semblance of reason. 
the fact that the intended guest had married a wife need not have prevented his presence at the feast. His wife also would have been made welcome. But he had his own plans for enjoyment, and these seemed to him more desirable than the feast he had promised to attend. He had learned to find pleasure in other society than that of the host. He did not ask to be excused, made not even a pretense of courtesy in his refusal. The I cannot was only a veil for the truth, I do not care to come. All the excuses betray a preoccupied mind. To these intended guests, other interests had become all-absorbing. The invitation they had pledged themselves to accept was put aside, and the generous friend was insulted by their indifference. Join us again next time as Clive Nash continues to read from the book Christ's Object Lessons, written by Ellen G. White. enjoy the short presentation of how God led His people after the Reformation from lineagejourney.com To die from overwork is not something that happens very often nowadays but in the early days of our church it seemed to happen on a frequent basis. Coupled with little information on what a good nutritious diet consisted of as well as poor vaccination the graves of Mount Hope Cemetery here have too many young people who died early yet whose impact lasts far beyond their short years on earth. The story of the Andrews family is particularly sad. His wife Angeline died at the age of 48 two years before he left the US to be a missionary in Europe. They had a close and loving relationship and the separation that his travel caused was not easy. Separation in death though was even harder and he moved from Rochester, New York to Lancaster, Massachusetts and continued his work there. Unfortunately, his daughter Mary who had been his backbone of support, contracted tuberculosis and the prognosis didn't look good. He took her back to the United States, to Battle Creek, where he had Dr. Kellogg look at her. Unfortunately, nothing could be done to heal her. And despite the advice from Dr. Kellogg, Jay and Andrews insisted on spending almost every day with his daughter. She had been his support while he was in Europe after his wife Angeline had died and he refused to leave her side in her dying days. 
Dr. Kellogg warned that by proximity to his daughter, he might contract tuberculosis, but he was loyal right up until the end. Jay and Andrews did contract tuberculosis from his daughter and died way too young at just 54 years old and is buried here in Basel, Switzerland. One can only wonder what impact he would have had on the church if he lived for 30 years longer or how the outcome of the 1888 General Conference session might have been different if he was there. During the course of his life, James White held the position of the editor of Review and Herald as well as General Conference President, amongst other things. He did the work not of one man, but at least two, if not three. From his younger years working on the railroad and cutting grass by hand, to working tirelessly for the church. He died 34 years before his wife in 1881 and is buried here in the Oak Hill Cemetery in Battle Creek. Nathaniel and Anna White, siblings of James White, worked here in Rochester for a few years, but both died young in their early 20s from tuberculosis. Jay and Andrew's other child, Carrie, is also buried here along with the Orton family. It was the Ortons who prayed for James White's recovery in 1865, and it was in the home of their daughter where Ellen White had her Christmas Day vision that led to the establishment of the first Seventh-day Adventist sanitarium. Here lie the graves, predominantly of young people, young people in their teens and 20s who dedicated their lives to a message, to a belief that the world needed to hear the truth of a crucified, risen, and soon to come savior. Young people who took their faith seriously. Young people who sacrificed and dedicated their lives more than any others had. To pioneer a new work takes a lot more effort and sacrifice than to just keep it running. And these young people sacrificed in the early years and pushed God's work forward. May we examine our lives and see where we can commit and dedicate more to finish this work. To view more episodes in the series, visit lineagejourney.com.